Welcome to the Faith Community Church Podcast, a ministry of Faith Community Church in South Boston, Virginia. We're glad you can join us as Pastor Dane Skelton shares a weekly message to encourage you to deepen your faith in Jesus Christ. Here's Pastor Dane. I you to turn, please, in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Very familiar chapter and a very familiar passage. Every sincere, we are in a series, we've been in a series for a long time now on practicing the art of reception, the spiritual disciplines. In the last couple of, last week and this week, we've been talking about guidance. And so I'm titling this message, The Spirit-Led Mind. Every sincere believer wants to know, what does God want me to do? What is God's plan for me here? I've reached this moment, this crossroad in life. And the decision that I make will have a long-term, even a lifetime effect. What am I supposed to do? What's God's will for me here? We began talking about this last week, and we talked about the idea that we, when we're in a position like this, what we don't want to do is we don't want to be take on a superstitious attitude about getting guidance from God. We don't want to try to manipulate God. We don't want to try to push His buttons. We don't want to try to engage in what would, really what the Bible defines as magic, by us manipulating God. We're here for Him to manipulate us. So what's the right way to go about getting God's guidance? And one of the things that I've learned, just from my own life and from counseling people over the years, is that often... When we are in a moment of personal indecision, or even in a moment of conflict where, where we have to figure out what to do and we don't know what to do, that the root of the problem is often that we are uncertain about or in disagreement over our basic values. We don't know how to decide an issue or how to proceed because we haven't successfully clarified what is important to us and what's on the periphery. What the fundamental things are and what the things are that we can let go. We also run into problems in decision making that manifest themselves like this. Gee, do I go with my heart? Or, or my heart? Yes, down there. Do I go to my heart? Or do I go with my head? Well, do I go with my gut instincts? Or do I go with my logic, my rational mind? Well, there's a researcher named Dan Ariely. I think I'm pronouncing his name right. A-R-I-E-L-Y. And he claims that most of us are masters at deceiving ourselves and justifying our actions. In other words, we always go with our gut. And he tells a good story of an example about that uh, based on his own life. He had ridden a motorcycle until he was 30 years old, and he decided, okay... It's time to trade the motorcycle in and get a car. And he said the web, the internet, was just becoming, you know, really coming on at that time. He said, I got on the internet and I found that there was one of these programs that would help you figure out. You know, you go through a list of questions, figure out what kind of car should I get. He said, so I went, I answered all the questions and I got down to the end. He says, I'm 30 years old, I just traded in my motorcycle. Here's what my life is, here's what my job is, what kind of car should I get? Ford Taurus. He said, so I did what any self-respecting researcher would do. I hit the back button on the computer and I started backing up 
in the uh, analysis process and started answering the questions differently. And I got all the way through the process and it said, Mazda Miata. And he said, I was just so pleased with the power of this computer program to sort out and help me arrive at a rational decision about what kind of car I should have. And he said, really, the experience taught me that sometimes we want our decisions to have a rational veneer when, in fact, they stem from what we crave deep down. The truth is, we always go with our hearts. So the only question is whether our hearts have been informed and transformed by God through this information processing filter that we have sitting on top of our shoulders. Because when it's been transformed and when it is informed, it will make a heart decision that is different from the kind of decision that it would make when it has not been transformed and informed. We make all of our decisions based on deeply held values, whether we are conscious of those values or not. And we have an advantage, Christians, believers in Jesus, people who have been born again, people who have the Holy Spirit residing inside of them, have an advantage wrapped in a command that helps us in the decision-making process. The advantage wrapped in a command, actually two commands, is right here in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. That means we've, we've given up all of ourselves to God. So we've turned over the whole system to God. And said, so God, I'm yours. That's step one. That's the hardest thing to do. Ask anybody who's thinking about becoming a Christian and who really understands what the issues are, and they'll tell you, it's really, a, it's really difficult for me to give up control of my life to somebody else. I'm really uncomfortable with that. Verse 2, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. What's the pattern of this world? The value system of this world. He's saying, so here's a direct command. Don't conform to that any longer. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So what he's asking us to do is, I want to transform my mind so that I begin to think with God's value system instead of the world's value system. I want to transform my mind. I want to adopt a new value system and totally internalize it with the help of the Holy Spirit. Then look what happens. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. The Holy Spirit does not bypass our minds most of the time. The values by which we make decisions at the crossroads of our lives have been given to us by God. He's given us the value system. He doesn't hide it. They are clearly defined and they often contrast or conflict with the world's values, but we don't have to guess, we can know. So when our minds have been transformed, when we have learned to think with a biblical worldview, with a biblical system of ethics and the values of the kingdom of God, a whole host of choices be become clear to us. They're no longer obscure. We will be able to test, he says, which means assess, 
try, investigate, sift out, and approve, which means support, agree with, accept what God's will is. That's what will happen. We'll begin to be able to do those things. So when we are looking for God's guidance, we often forget or just neglect to look for the direction that He's already given us. If you want to see what happens when human beings uh, reject God's guidance, the guidance that He's already given us, please turn back to the first chapter of Romans and look in verses 28 through 32. Now, he spent the whole first chapter talking about the wrath that's coming on man, God's wrath is coming on mankind because God's already revealed His value system. He's already revealed Himself in the creation. But people have chosen to reject, reject rather what God has revealed. So here's, here's the, the result of that. Verse 28, Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God... God gave them knowledge, but they didn't, they didn't want to keep it. They didn't want to hold on to it. They didn't want to adopt that value. He gave them over to a depraved mind. So their mind's going to be messed up. Their mind's not going to work right. When we read the word depraved, we often think, oh, it's just you know, as bad and nasty as it can be. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes it's just a, a mind that can't sort through issues the way it needs to. Be, needs to. to do what ought not to be done, they've become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They're gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They're senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they knew God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve. There's that word again. They approve of those who practice them. So that's an approval system, so to speak. It's like totally different from God's approval system. When our minds have been transformed by God's Word and we've adopted His values, we're able to approve His will. When we haven't, we're only able to approve what's ugly and what's destructive. So God has equipped us with His values, with His view of the world, and He expects us to use it to transform our minds to His point of view to prayerfully and reverently use our minds in the application of those values and commands in the decision-making process. Then, when things remain uncertain, when the crossroads are upon us, as we pray and listen and think, we can expect further guidance from the Spirit. So what I'm trying to uh, to impress upon us today is sometimes we go looking for God's guidance. And, and it's a very spiritual process. And we were asking the Holy Spirit to give us guidance. But it's like we almost want to put ourselves in a trance or something and just say, Oh God, show me what to do. I'm waiting. And it's like God saying, I've already shown you what to do. You need to think about it. You need to use your head. So what does it mean to use your head and be spirit-led, the spirit-led mind? Well, first, use your head, but use it humbly. Use your head, but use it humbly. Romans 12, 3, very next verse. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment 
in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. So use your head, but use it humbly. And one of the ways that we use our head humbly is right in the next book. Turn right, just like two pages, to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And we'll begin in verse 20, because there's something really critical. Right as we start out to try to, to, try to think with God's value system, what's the heart and core of God's value system? Where is the wise man? Verse 20. Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs, and Greeks look for wisdom, but, and here's the heart of it, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and Christ the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. So what's the deal here? What's God saying to us? Never forget that at the heart of God's wisdom for the world is Jesus Christ crucified. That's always what's at the heart of God's wisdom for us. The crucifixion means that the earth was created good, but that man fell and took the earth with it, and therefore it needed to be redeemed. And God said, I'm providing the redemption. But it was good. It was good, and now it's fallen. And God has provided a redemption. The crucifixion means that God rescued His creation from that fall, and that because of the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension, there is power to change for the present and hope for the future. That's the heart of God's wisdom. The heart of God's wisdom is a biblical worldview. That man was created good, and God loved his creation. That man fell, and there's a whole lot of sickness and destruction, a whole world of it that came out of that. That's a critical understanding when it comes to thinking about, okay, wow, who's going to be my business partner? Who's going to be my mate? What kind of path am I going to take through? Am I going to take through life? Am I going to look at people as, you know, basically good, just uninformed, or am I going to look at people as... Mm, everybody on the planet has this, sin, this problem called sin, and I need to take that into account in my decision-making process. They may want to be good, but they're struggling with sin just like I am, and I need to take that into account. It's one of the reasons that the American system of government with, of checks and balances was put together the way it was. Those guys had a biblical worldview. They might not have all been Christians, but they, they understood human sin. They said, well, we've got to checks and balances on this power. There's also redemption. There's always hope that people can change. There's always hope that people can change because of the power of God coming through Jesus Christ. And there's an ultimate day when judgment will happen. So that needs to be the frame of all of my decision-making process. That's the fundamental frame of, for my value system. The cross is always at the heart of God's value system. So use your head, but use it humbly. Use it humbly. Keep it within the frame of God's value system. Second, use your head 
Use your head about money. Use your head about money. Sometimes when we're new believers, um, we'll, we'll get to the place in the gospel where we get to the Sermon on the Mount. And we'll get to the spot where Jesus is teaching about worry. And he says, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? That's Matthew 6, verses 25 through 26. Right before that, in verses 19 through 21, excuse me, Jesus has, says, has already taught them, Don't lay up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but rather lay up treasures in heaven. Where moth and rust can't destroy and thieves can't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart be also. So we look at that and we go, okay, wow, okay, I guess, I guess that means um, I, don't, I probably don't need to worry about money. Probably don't even need to think about that. Don't need to plan for it. God will provide. And that's a mistake. Because Jesus was teaching about worry, not about work. Not about planning. Not about wise stewardship of resources. You know, we're to do all of those things, not lay up treasures on earth. I mean, we're, we're to, pardon me, we're to do all of those things, which planning, stewardship, and all of that, but we're to do it without fretting, without anxiety, without scheming how to get the last dollar out of every transaction that we make because we're worried about money. But it doesn't say, don't plan for yourself. So would you look, please, in Proverbs? We're, we're going to spend the rest of the, the morning in Proverbs. Because Proverbs has so much to teach us. Proverbs, if you turn to Psalm, right, Psalms, right in the middle of your Bible, and then turn right, you'll hit Proverbs. Get right to the end of Psalms and you'll hit Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. Now, here's wisdom. Here's wisdom for life, wisdom for money, about money. Go to the ant, you sluggard. <laughs> Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler. Yet, it stores its provisions in the summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest and... Poverty will come on you like a bandit, and scarcity like an armed man. What's God's value system when it comes to money and work? Well, this is his value system. He says, go to the ant. Consider. Have you ever thought about what that word means? Consider. Think about it. Study it. Observe it. Analyze what's happening in the life of the ant, in the ant colony, because here's what's happening. Look at the teamwork that's necessary for prosperity. It's very, very difficult to go out on your own and be the only guy in the business. It's extremely difficult. You need a team. Look at the cooperation. 
Look at the understanding of timing and savings. There will be seasons of prosperity in life, in every life, and seasons without harvest. There will be years of strength to work, and then the wintertime of life when there is no strength to work, and you better have stuff stored up, and you better not count on the Social Security system either. There will be seasons of prosperity to provide for the seasons of want if you use your head. So use your head about providing for yourself and your family. You can go into just about any kind of financial management software program or into the office of any one of the financial advisor guys around or even the bank's office and say, um, okay, if I start at age 20 and I put $100 a month aside at age 20 and keep doing that for 30 years until I'm 55, where will I be? Well, in the first 10 years, you know, you'll accumulate and you'll think, you'll have some money and you'll go, and I don't, guys, I'm not a number guy, so I didn't crunch all these for you, but I promise this is true. Would you just trust me? Okay, be all right. Everybody can we nod like that. Okay, some of you who are bookkeepers are not nodding. <laughs> this really works. It's called compounding. After about, you know, 10 years, you'd have this chunk of money and you'd go, wow, I could go buy a really good car with that. That's happening. Let's go get a car. Don't do that. Keep throwing that $100 a month in that savings account and doing it. At about age, in about 20 years, you'd have this hunk of money and you'd go, you know, it'd be like over $100,000, maybe even a couple hundred thousand dollars. And because it's earning, it, and we're assuming here a, a really conservative interest rate of about 6%, which is only 3% above inflation. And we're going to have about mm, $100,000. Whoa, man, I could, I could go buy another house with that. Don't go buy another house. Keep saving it. Keep accumulating it. By the time you get to the 25th year, you're going to have enough money where you could just about quit working. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Watch what happens when you are consistent about planning for your life and your future and your family. Yeah, that's assuming you don't get it all invested in the wrong place. <laughs> but use your head. Now, here's the cool thing about it. The more financial freedom we have, the greater ability we have to work for the kingdom of God. When you're out of debt, when your house is paid for and your car is paid for and you've got enough money set aside so that you and your family can live without more than like a part-time job for income, for buying the groceries and stuff like that, you are free to serve the kingdom of God just about wherever on the planet you want to go. In 2006, when we took a crew down to help with Hurricane Katrina effort, uh, cleanup effort, we went along with under the auspices of Samaritan's Purse. We got down there, and Samaritan's Purse was in this um, retreat facility that was owned by the Methodist Church. And they had, they had an area that was probably as big as from here out to the end of our building with nothing but just supplies, you know, plywood and sheetrock and lumber and, and, um, and tools and 
sheetrock mud and paint and all this stuff. And there was this one guy who was in charge of it all. He was an expert contractor, kind of a general contractor type. He had a great administrative head. He had all of the, the work laid out for us so that everybody, every team knew where to go. We had everything that we needed to go there. All of the preliminary work had been done. When we got on site, the site was ready for us to do our jobs. All of that stuff that a good general contractor has to do. And I got to talk to him. I can't remember his name. I got to talk to him and I said, you know, how is it that you get to be here? And he said, well, we were just able to retire in our 50s. And I love doing this kind of stuff. It's what I'm good at, and I love serving God this way. How cool is that? But if you're going to do that, you've got to use your head. You've got to think. You've got to plan ahead. You've got to go to the ant and study how the ant does it. So use your head, but use it humbly. Use your head about money. Use your head about your career, about your ministry. The things that you invest yourself in. Look, if you're there in Proverbs, turn to chapter 14. Chapter 14, um, verse 8, and verse 15, and verse 18. The wisdom of the prudent, verse 8, is to give thought to their ways... But the folly of fools is deception. The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways. You're going to think about their life path. Verse 15. A simple man believes anything. But a prudent man, a thoughtful man, gives thought to his steps about his life path. Where he's going. What he's doing in his career or his ministry. Verse 18, the simple, those who refuse to think about it, inherit folly. That means they, they have an inheritance coming to them, but it's not pleasant. <laughs> it's just trouble. But the prudent are crowned with knowledge. In other words, people who think about their lives and think about their life course and think about their path in life they get more knowledge. They're crowned with knowledge. So what he's saying, you can see this also in chapter 12, verse 15, chapter 13, verse 16. It appears all over the place. Think about what you are doing or about to do. Get counsel. Get advice. Weigh the pros and cons. Visualize where this is going to take you in five years. If I take this path, where is it going to put me in five years? Well, I don't know. Well, somebody else does because I guarantee you they've already done it. Find them. Ask them. Study their lives. Find somebody that's been down that road. Consider whether you have the vision, the energy, the fortitude to carry it through. Don't trust the initial rush of excitement when an idea floods your brain. I have a, a, a friend, that I, a young man that I correspond with and, and kind of mentor him in the mail and he asked a question of me a month or so ago. That I, and when, as soon as I read the question, I had a flashback to when um, he's, he's about 25. And so, and I'm 52. And I had a flashback to when I was about 24 or 25 and my father-in-law was in his 50s. And I had this great idea about uh, how I was going to make money 
by uh, working on cars. And I had this great idea. I, had, I was going to have a mobile car clinic. I was going to ride around with my truck, with my tools, and work on people's cars in their driveways. Who wants to take their car to the shop, right? Nobody. Great idea. Wonderful idea. And so I was talking to my father-in-law about it, who has never worked on cars, doesn't know the first thing about cars, but he understands life, and he understands business. And so I'm telling him this, this story, this idea that I have. And he listened, and he was wise enough not to just rain on my parade, on my enthusiasm, but he just asked me questions about it. And the more he asked me questions, and I started answering the questions, the more I thought, well, I think I'm going to wait and study this a little bit more. Well, then a few years later, I got a job working as an automobile mechanic in a shop for a church with a, a big fleet of vehicles. I took care of 30 vans and trucks and buses. And I got paid by the hour, not by the job. And I had time, and the church allowed me to do work on the side. And so I would take in jobs on the side. And the shop rate in Atlanta, Georgia, was $48 an hour at that time. And I thought, well, I'm not paying for this overhead, and I'm not, you know, I don't own this. I'm, I'm just going to, I'm only going to charge $10 an hour shop rate. And to kind of make a long story short, short, I lost my shirt. I worked my head off all year, and I cleared a big whopping $750. And I was so glad I had not gone into the mobile repair business because I'd gotten a little advice about it. One of the tricks of the trade of using your head about thinking about your life path and where am I supposed to go with this is not only to get advice, but to go ahead and to commit to a decision in your imagination. Get, get some advice and then think about what's it going to be like. And human beings have this capacity. Nobody else, no other creature has this. But just imagine yourself out into the next 10 years or even five years and just say, what's it going to be like if I go ahead and do this? And one of the ways that you can do that is go ahead and just sort of make the decision. One of the hardest parts about Getting guidance is the indecision part of it. So emotionally make the decision. Go up in your attic and look at it and think, okay, what's it going to take to pack all this and move it? Put a sign out in your yard or post something up on the uh, you know, uh, for sale by owner website thing. And just see how it, but tell your wife and kids before you do that. Um, and just see how it feels and live in the decision for a bit and decide if you if that's really where you want to go because if you if you'll do that it will help you understand okay yeah this is this is the right or no I don't I can't go there Paul urged his protege Timothy the simple the simple inherit folly pardon me verse 18 the simple inherit folly, but the prudent are crowned with knowledge. When you use your head, you inherit a crown. When you thoughtlessly plunge along, you inherit headaches. So ask yourself, and I'm, I'm, 
I'm especially thinking about those of you who are young, those of us who are in our 40s and 50s, it's kind of like, you know, we've already <laughs> picked our path. <laughs> but think about it. Where am I plunging along? Where am I plunging along and where am I thinking about what's happening and planning ahead? Finally, use your head about your life. Use your head about your life. The Apostle Paul urged this on his protege Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.16. He said these words. and these, I, Whenever I get to this place in my reading in Timothy, I always stop here because it just sounds like you know, some Paul's talking to me. This wise old man in God is talking to me saying, pay close attention to your life and to your doctrine. Use your head about just your life, how you're living your life. Pay close attention to your life. Stop. Think. Consider what you are doing. Consider the effect that it is having on your body, your mind, your spirit, your marriage, your ministry. Think it through. Am I being effective? What's the cost in time and energy? What is the best investment of time and energy and money God has equipped me with? Am I getting the instruction and the guidance and the wisdom that I need in order to make good decisions? We, uh, I have great news. There were over 40 kids that went to Young Life Camp up in Rockbridge this weekend. They went with Sarah Kite Reeves, a math teacher at the school, Larissa Gregory, another teacher at the school, Jason Fisher, whom many of you will know is Sandy Cole's brother, who is a, he is just a wonderful guy, and another fellow named Brad, whom I'm just getting to know. Jason Fisher is, he's just an awesome guy. I, every time I'm around him, I feel like I've been improved. Uh, and he loves this county, and he loves the people in the county, and he has uh, dedicated much of his life to ministry at his church and ministry to the kids in this county. And he's on this trip, and he was giving our committee, our leadership committee, a report Thursday night uh, about the trip and how everything was going. And one of the things that we need is volunteers, adult volunteers to work, to be the on-the-ground people in this Young Life ministry as it builds up in the county. And, because, and Jason said it this way. He said, because at the rate that I'm going, uh, my kids are going to grow up and go off to college, and my wife and I aren't going to know who we, who we are. <laughs> and he understands that, and he's very committed to balancing his life out. He's going to serve God with all of his heart, but he's really committed to watching his life closely and paying attention. I knew another man many, many years ago who went by the motto, I'd rather burn out for God than rust out. Well, he burned out okay. And he about took his family down with him and he destroyed some other lives in the process. And this, all of this echoes something that's in Proverbs 4. Proverbs 4, verses 6 through 9. Wisdom, the skill of living, the ability to acquire knowledge and then apply it. 
Solomon teaches David, do whatever is necessary to get understanding about life and the choices you are making. Spare no expense, he says. Wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom. Though it costs all you have, get understanding. Esteem her and she will exalt you. Embrace her and she will honor you. She will set a garland of grace on your head and present you with a crown of splendor. He says, spend whatever you need to get this wisdom for life. Think about your life. And you know what? People don't do it. People don't do it. And I can say that because I'm a pastor and, I'm, and we're the guys, even with all the psychologists that there are in the country, pastors and chaplains are the people who do 90% of the counseling in the country. So here's something that I run into a lot, and I just thought that I would share this with you as a little bit of incentive, especially those of you who are young. Can you take a guess at what the average wedding ceremony, and there is a website you can look this up and do it by zip code, so the average wedding ceremony in Halifax County costs? Just the wedding ceremony, okay? $22,171. Now, I guarantee you my daughter got married a lot cheaper than that, but that's the average, okay? That's the average, you know what the cost of the average divorce is? Now, this is in the countrywide, and it takes into account when you've got to sell the house and the ass, split up the assets and all that stuff. The cost of the average divorce, depending on where you live in the country, it's between $53,000 and $188,000. Not to mention, we're not even talking about the staggering emotional and psychological costs. And yet, here's the deal. The average couple will not spend 20 bucks on a book that will help them succeed at marriage. That's folly. That's just insanity. That's where we come up with it. Somebody came up with a saying, love is grand, but divorce is 50 grand. (laughs) (laughs) If you don't know enough about what you want to do, Study until you do know. You're not going to be able to cover all the bases. You're not going to be able to eliminate all of the risks. But if you make a lifelong commitment to search for wisdom and understanding, she will reward you. So I have this, I have this scene in my head that um, we're talking to God. And, um, and we're asking God for advice. And you see this, right? And I, and I have this... I'm starting to think that I have this... Um, a little bit of... A, just a tiny, tiny little bit of understanding of how God must feel as an author of a book. Because I'm the author of a book. Uh, God, the only difference is, is that God wrote this book that is the most important thing in all the universe and is going to last for eternity. And I wrote a little bitty book for a little bitty aviation ministry in North Carolina <clears throat> that's going to be relevant for maybe 10 years. Okay, And so I went down to, to North Carolina to do a briefing with uh, 
the man who was responsible for studying um, my friend's crash. And this is it at Jars. And I wrote my book for Jars. And if you've, if you've read my book, you've read my book, right? <laughs> if, I'm just kidding. If you've read my book, you, you know what I know about uh, jars and how I feel about jars. You know what I know and how, uh, kind of how I feel about aviation. And you know that I know uh, what I know about their ministry over in Indonesia. A lot of specifics that I'm aware of over there. So I went down to get this briefing from this guy. And this guy's name is Glenn. He is a wonderful man, a skilled pilot. Uh, and I just have deep, deep respect for him. My book would have been longer if I could have interviewed Glenn, but I never could, have, I never could hook up with him. And uh, we're talking along, and Glenn starts asking me questions. Well, it, like, uh, are you an aviation person? And I'm like, yeah, I, I, wrote, I wrote about it in the book. And he starts asking these questions, like, that, where he, it's just really obvious, it's like, well, do you know anything, you know, do you know about Indonesia? Yeah, it's, it's in my book. You know about our safety policies and all that? Yeah, it's, it's in my book. And he just kept doing stuff like that where I was going, yeah, and finally I just stopped doing it. But in my head I was like, didn't you read my book? I thought everybody in jars read my book. So I had this idea that we're sitting there talking to God, and we're saying, uh, I need to do this, and I, I, need this, I need to understand where to go and what to do. And God is too polite to, to just say, haven't you read my book? But he's going... He's, he's, and God, I need to do this, this, and this. And he's like, there's an app for that. just need to download it. <laughs> I put in your uh, sermon notes a whole list of areas that the Bible addresses, and they're in no particular order. But these are all the areas, I, and there, there's, there's a lot more. That's just what would fit on one page. But those are all the areas that God has already spoken to us about. And all we need to do is download the app for that in our minds and in our hearts. Would you pray with me, please? You may be in a place right now where um, you're in a crossroads and you need to make a decision. I want to give you some time to talk to God about that and then think about what part of the scripture may address your need.
Father, the truth is, is that every one of us in this room faces decisions every day um, that we need to make. And we know that you want us to make them based on your value system. Help us to absorb it. Help us, Father, to stay in it so that our minds are transformed and our hearts are transformed with them so that the decisions that come from our gut are in total harmony with what we would do in our head uh, if we were really, really in tune with you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about Faith Community Church, you can find us online at FCCSobo.org or on our Facebook page by searching Faith Community Church. As always, God loves you, we love you, and we hope you have a wonderful week.